Thanks for listening to Connection Church's podcast. Today's message is a part of our series, Hook, Line, and Sinker. A lot takes place before a fisherman makes his first cast. And much like fishing, Christians must be equipped with the right tools to share the gospel and to make fishers of men. Our prayer is that you understand what those tools are and that you have the boldness to share what Jesus has done in your own life. Good morning. You all good? And glad to be back um, from uh, another vacation. We told you it's like my dad was sick, but I just needed a break. So no, really, um, actually, he, he has been very sick. And, and we're about to get into the second week of this series, uh, um, Hoot, Line, and Sinker. But the first thing I want to do is thank you guys. Um, so many of you have uh, prayed and you've called, you've texted, you've um, sent emails, you've done so many things, you've um, some of you have even taken care of our kids, God bless you, um, and you've been there for us, and, um, and I just want to say thank you for that, thank you for being there for us and for truly being a family to us, and I share with the nine o'clock service that I think one of the things that means the most to me um, about our church um, and about what I've seen God do is that um, I see a family, and I know people say it's a thousand people or 900, whatever it is um, this week, um, and you look at it and you say, well, it's, it's so big, I don't know. But, but I see people that, that rally around each other. I see people that genuinely love each other. I see people that sacrifice for each other. And that blesses me as much as anything. And I'm very thankful for that. Um, with the church the size it is, I can't do everything. It, it, I would love to. And it's, it's hard for me to let go of um, not being the one who can meet every need. But I'm very thankful for the body of Christ being the body of Christ. I'm very thankful that um, we fill the gaps for each other and that you care for one another and that our connect groups love each other and that um, you meet each other's needs. And one thing I firmly believe is that the church is not healthy when one person, um, the pastor, is doing everything. The church is healthy when the body of Christ is ministering to the body of Christ. And I see that happening. And uh, I'm very, very uh, um, in awe of that. I think it goes so against the grain of our culture. Um, I think it speaks to the love of Christ. And so I'm very thankful for that and thankful for the love that you guys have shown us through the last week or so. And so with that, you guys got off easy. I cried like a baby during the nine o'clock service. So, like, <laughs> you know, and so you got off easy. Um, I unloaded it all on them. So anyway, um, we're going to continue the series. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Mark chapter five. We're going to be reading verses 21 through 43 today and talking about those scriptures and uh, continue to look at this hook, line and sinker. Uh, thought of, of, of us being called to be fishers of men. When Jesus called people to follow him, he called us to, to not just um, uh, follow him for ourselves, but to follow him and to go out and reach other people. And that's the thought of this whole series is that we're not called just to gather here, but we're called to scatter out into the world and to preach the gospel, to share the gospel, to love people with the gospel and to see them come into the kingdom. We're called to reach the lost and reach those that many people have given up on. And, and that's, this whole series is about that. I'm, so, I'm excited about next week. We're going to actually look at how do we practically do that? I mean, it can be so intimidating to share our faith, right? To tell somebody about Christ and we don't know what they're going to say, what they're going to do, what they're going to think. Um, and, and we want to talk about that. I want to teach you next week, just some practical things. How do we do that? How do we initiate it? How do we start it? And, and, and I believe this, that God's called us to do that. He's called us to go outside these walls, to share our faith. And so we're going to be looking at that um, next week. This week, though, we are going to be in Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. And uh, I hope when you leave here today, you'll be encouraged that 
um, because of what Jesus has done for you, um, as you reflect on that, you really begin to see there's no way that you can withhold the love that he's given us um, from other people. So Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 21, we'll read this and pray and we'll jump in. It says, when Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed. And I want you to get the picture of this. This would be like um, a superstar. Basically walking down the road, it'd be a, he's a big deal, right? I mean, he's healing people. Miracles are taking place. People are hearing about this Jesus. So they're all, they're all coming out to see him. They're pressing around him. It's a huge crowd um, walking down the street, trying to follow him, trying to get close to him, trying to see him, maybe even to talk to him or touch him. And so this large crowd's following, pressing in around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. She's basically in a hopeless state. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding around you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask who touched me. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman Knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? And listen to verse 36. Ignoring what they said, Jesus said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone know, follow him, except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, while this commotion and wailing, the child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were all completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this. And he told them to give her something to eat. Let's pray. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for the opportunity to open your word, God. I know that it is living and active, that it works in our hearts that when we interact with it it interacts with us and it begins to shape us and mold us to be more like you it begins to awaken us to who you are and god i pray that today we would truly be awakened that there are people who i'm in here right now god according to your word they're they're not spiritually alive they they aren't living abundantly in you they don't know you i pray they would be awakened by your word i pray for those of us who uh, maybe find ourselves like this woman Maybe we've been struggling with things for years and years, and some of us have even given up hope that it would ever be healed, that, God, we would ever be whole, that we could ever get past this sore spot, this emotional scar, this, this thing that's happened in our life. God, I pray that you would begin to open our eyes, open our hearts to the reality that you want to bring healing, that you want us to be whole, that you, you do want us to be spiritually broken at what you've done in our lives, but not wounded. God, I pray that you would uh, just move in a great and mighty way today as we talk about your word and talk about who you are. 
Thank you for Jesus, the cross, and forgiveness. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Oh, um, it's been one of those uh, months, I guess. Um, it's been a while since things have felt very normal around my house. My dad's been in and out of the hospital for several weeks now. I think he's probably spent about 20 or 21 of the last 40 or 45 days in the hospital, um, either here or in Savannah. So it's been kind of a roller coaster thing. This latest thing he had was a, a brain hemorrhage um, in which uh, he had uh, on the front part of his brain um, a blood vessel burst. And it, um, you know, of course, caused, it caused him to lose some vision for a while. It caused a great deal of pain. And uh, so they, li- they air vac him down to Savannah. They get him down there. They get him in trauma. They begin to do the things they need to do to get him stable. Um, he finally gets stable. They thought maybe we had avoided him having surgery. And so they said, let's just watch him. Let's see. Hopefully everything um, will get washed out. The pain will go away. And we'll just be able to release him and he won't have to have surgery. Well, on Thursday, they decided they needed to go ahead and do surgery. He was in so much pain, they couldn't get the pain to subside. So they decided they'd go ahead and do surgery. And I don't know about you, but like... I would have liked, I would like to think I could have been a doctor. Um, I could probably treat coughs, you know what I'm saying? I could probably deal with like the flu, you know, maybe. But when you start talking about going in somebody's head, like I don't really want any part of that, you know what I'm saying? And so the doctor walks in one day and he's like, his name's Dr. Baker, man, a fantastic doctor down there, neurosurgeon. He walks in and he's like, let me, let me tell you what's going to happen. We're just going to put him under. We're going to take, you know, we're going to go in there. We're going to clean out that blood off of his brain. We're going to put the, put it back and we're going to sew it up and, and we'll be done. And I'm like, he, he, he made it sound like he walked into McDonald's, ordered a Happy Meal and then left. I mean, he made it sound that easy, you know? And I was like, that just doesn't even seem right. It just doesn't, I mean, how can you just make it that simple? And um, but because of his confidence in that, because he had done that before, because he'd been there, done that kind of thing, and, and he was so sure of it, he was sure of the process, that, uh, that it gave me confidence, you know? I believe, like, hey, man, he's like, this is in and out, we're done, um, he'll be on the road to recovery. So I had a lot of confidence in that, and when he went into surgery, even, I really felt good that this doctor knows what he's doing, he's going to take care of him, he's going to... Um, make sure he comes out of this okay and 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 I feel good about this and so I was thinking about that though when we were in um waiting for him to be wheeled back for the surgery and uh he was there when they were coming to get him to go do the anesthesia and they were talking to him and I was thinking about like what would rob me of that confidence right what 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 could it be that I possibly could overhear or um or 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 hear the doctor say, or hear someone say the doctor that would rob me of that confidence. And I was sitting there thinking about this, and, and it was kind of, in those situations, you kind of have to laugh, or else you'll just go crazy. So I'm thinking about these things, and I thought, you know, what if they were about to push him back, and you hear one of the nurses tell the doctor, like, hey, doc, don't worry about that last one, man. Go get him. It's, it's all right. You know? Or, hey, doc, hey, shake off that last one. You got this. Right? Or, I know your record hasn't been good lately. But, or, you know, I know you're getting kind of shaky, we realize it, but we think you still got it. You know, we're behind you. Go get them, big guy. I was thinking about some of those things, and I was like, you know, those things would completely rob it. I'd be like, okay, let's do this somewhere else. Let's go get another doctor. I was thinking about, you know, I've talked about this before, about how I don't like to fly very much. And I was thinking about what would change my mind about a plane flight? Not that it would take that much to change it. But, like, you're getting on the airplane, and the pilot's like, um, dude, he's talking to the co-pilot. He's like, what did we do last night? I have no idea. You know, or he's like, man, like, dude, I'm still buzzing. Are you, you know, and I mean, that changes my mind about getting on the airplane. You know what I'm saying? And so there's things sometimes, and you can probably go back to your own life or a situation that you were in where you're about to do something or going to do something or thought something about someone. And then you overheard somebody saying something else and it changed your mind about them. You know what I mean? 
Like, have you ever had a picture of somebody, then you talk to somebody else, and then your entire picture of that person changed because of something you heard or something you saw or something that you learned about them that, that gave you a new picture of them or who they are or who they, who they um, were? And so you begin to think of them differently. As I was reading through this scripture the other night, I was actually just laying in bed reading the scripture, reading the Bible um, before I went to bed, and, and there was a scripture in here that really leapt out at me. And it meant a lot to me because it made me begin to realize again what Jesus has done in my life. And it again began to set my heart on fire for him, which anytime where our hearts are set on fire for Jesus, they're going to be set on fire for people who are lost. The reality of it is we can't grow closer to Jesus, we can't love Jesus more, and care less for the people he loves, Right? And so I began to read this and it began to speak to my heart again. And it's in verse 36. And I want you to realize that sandwiched in the middle of two miracles that Jesus does is is this, this text. And it says this, it says, ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. And when I read that, it hit me. And I began to think about it this way. I began to think about, thank God, thank the Lord, thank you, Jesus, that you didn't hear what other people thought. You didn't even hear what I thought about me and what other people thought about me. You just ignored that. Some translations say he overheard them say this and and you just, you overheard those things. You knew those things, but you chose to come get me anyway. Where would you be? Listen, and y'all don't sit there and look at me like I'm, I'm crazy. Please listen. Where would you be today if Jesus stopped at what other people thought about you or if he stopped at what you thought about yourself? lost as a ball in high weeds, right? Lost with no hope. And yet Jesus ignores what other people say about us. He ignores oftentimes what we even think about ourselves and our self-condemnation and he comes to us anyway. That is incredibly good news because most of us are our own worst critic. Many of us can't live the life God's called us to do, not because God hasn't saved us or empowered us, but because we can't see ourselves the way God sees us. We hear what people say and we ignore what God says. And we've got to get to a place where we ignore what people say and we begin to live out of what God says. And so the reality of it is, if, and it's, Jesus didn't just go, well, they're, they're messed up, they're sinners. He didn't just ignore the reality. He didn't just say that's not true. He recognized the truth, but he knew in and of himself there's a greater truth and I'm he. What an awesome thing that he does. And I wonder, have our hearts become numb to the reality of Jesus? Because some of us have become so church that we've lost the radicalness, just this revolutionary figure of who Jesus is. He walks into situations and he turns them upside down. He walked into a religious culture and he flipped it on its head. These people would have never done what Jesus did in these scriptures. He would have never allowed, no rabbi, no teacher, no respected Jewish teacher would have ever been pleased with the fact that a woman who was bleeding for 12 years came to him, touched him, and then he made her whole. They would not, never, never, ever. She should not have been there. Here's here's what the Jewish people thought. If this, if a woman was during their menstrual cycle, if it was during their monthly time, right, I don't even know how to talk about that without, but y'all know what I'm saying. They were considered unclean. 
And being unclean to a Jew meant they couldn't go to worship. They couldn't have relationship with people. They couldn't touch anybody else. If they touched somebody else, they became unclean. So here's this lady. I want you to picture this. She's in this huge crowd. All these people are gathering around. All these people are pressing in upon Jesus. And if you've ever been to a Braves game, Six Flags, Disney World, just shoot me in the head. You know what I'm saying? Because the crowds, I don't like the crowds. And you've ever tried to get somewhere. What do you do? You push through the crowd. You have to push. You have to touch. People are touching you, getting their sweat all over you. It's just nasty. And they're touching you. And here's this lady pushing through the crowd. She's trying to get to Jesus. All I want to do is get to Jesus. And in the process, she's unclean. She's touching people who are unclean, who are touching, now become unclean. She's touching somebody else who becomes unclean. They're touching somebody else that becomes unclean. And it goes throughout the whole whole crowd of people so that now she's made everybody unclean. And she just pushes right on through. And she's like, if I can just touch Jesus. Here's the amazing thing about this story. And I love this. Is that the one who everybody else thought was so unclean, so dirty, so hopeless, so useless, is the one that ends up in the end being made whole and being clean and being restored by Jesus. How awesome. And so many times we look at those people. We look at people that that just don't seem as bad as us. I got it together pretty good. And we think, well, uh, you know, they're, they're unclean. Bless their heart. And in the South, you say bless their heart. I mean, that's not a good thing. It's not like you're praying for them. It's like, man, they are messed up. Susan and I were out in Colorado talking to the, the guy we went out there meeting with. And, 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 and the whole time, Susan was like, bless their heart. And we were like, well, we really know what that means, right? And so... You know, and so this, this lady comes and, you know, we look at people all the time who seem to be unclean, that seem to be beyond hope. And yet Jesus ignores what everybody else says. He's like, listen, it doesn't matter what you say because I am the truth. You know, I am the way. I am the life. And I overcome all other truths. Everything else is a lowercase t compared to me. I am the big T. I have the final say. And it really doesn't matter about your opinion of them or your opinion of yourself. You are not who you say you are and they are not who you say they are. You are who I say you are. And that's the truth. And Jesus comes in and he begins to heal this lady. He begins to the cleanser. And when this is happening, here comes Jairus's people. And, and they're like, Jairus, listen, don't bother the teacher anymore. You're, the little girl's dead. And we see Jesus just say, just guys, come on, I'm Jesus. And so he just keeps going. And they're trying to say, listen, just, just don't worry about it. She's dead. And he walks in and he comes to this place of, of, of going into her room and he grabs her by the hand and he says, little girl, get up. And she gets up. But again, he should be made unclean. Jewish people could not touch dead people or they became unclean. And yet Jesus is defying their rules. He's defying their religion because one greater than religion has stepped into the scene and he touches the girl rather than him becoming unclean. She becomes alive. And that's what Jesus does for us. It's in the midst of our circumstances and our situations and our fears and our loss and our hurts. Jesus steps in and somehow we become alive even in the midst of our mistakes and our disappointments and all of the things of life. He speaks a greater truth into us and puts a greater truth in us that we can live by. He is the truth. Who wouldn't want to serve this God who says, you know what? greater we sing it but do we believe it our God is greater our God is stronger he's strong to deliver us he's strong to heal us he's strong 
bring us comfort. He's strong to save us. One of the things that I really want to challenge you with, and I've been challenged with myself probably more than you would ever know, is that in this text, there's these people. The Bible says that there are people. There's a great commotion in the house. This little girl has died. There's a great commotion in the house. And, and, and all these people are there, and they're weeping, and they're wailing, and they're mourning, and they're just shouting, and, and, and just really um, I'm, I'm pouring out all this emotion. But the thing that would happen oftentimes in those days with Jewish people is they would come, and they would hire wailers to come to the house. And so these people, many of them, were, they were there because they were paid. And you can see this in the scripture because when Jesus says she's not dead, um, she's just sleeping, they don't go, Jesus, that is wrong. How could you possibly say that about this little girl, my niece, my daughter, this girl that I love? How could you possibly say this about my friend? They laugh. And this is the thing I realized from this text is these people were there not because they loved. They were doing a job not out of compassion and love for the little girl. They were doing a job out of obligation. And I wonder, church, I wonder with 600, I don't know how many people have been here today, but this is what I wonder. Are we a group that loves Jesus and because of that loves others? Or are we just a group that makes a lot of commotion but really doesn't give a crap about people? Are we just here out of obligation or are we here out of love? It makes all the difference in the world. I believe one of the reasons that the church has been so ineffective is because most of the time people are there out of obligation, not out of love for Jesus. Our hearts aren't set on fire by Christ. We're just trying to check off a list to make ourselves feel better or make ourselves look better because of what other people have said how easy would it be for the people in that religious culture to feel like I don't fit and all the rules and all those things that they had to do and all of this regulation and all these stuff but I wonder how different are we do people on the outside look at us do they look at our worship do they look at our our, our love and do they say I can fit in that I, I, there's a place for me Or do they look at us and go, there's no way I can do that. There's no way I belong there. It matters. I believe that we're called to care. We're called to love. We're called to go. We're called to go to the least of these. Those that nobody else wants, bring them. We want them. Those that everybody else has given up on, I have hope that God can restore them. I believe that when we begin to look at what Jesus did for us, much like what he did for this lady and for this little girl, I believe that we too have our hearts set on fire again and again and again and again as we see what Jesus has done in our lives. And I want to ask you, I'm going to ask you four questions real quick. I want to ask you four questions that I believe as you, if you are a believer, as I, I believe as you answer these questions your heart will be set on fire. I believe the Holy Spirit in you begin to well up as you begin to see the answer to some of these questions. Here's the one I would, the first question I would ask you is in your situation, before you came to know Christ, before you were a believer, how did Jesus treat you? Right? How did Jesus treat you? When he came to you, did you have it all together? Was it all perfect? Were you cleaned up, looking good, no sin, nothing wrong, everything was perfect? 
Or did he come to you in your mess and in your, your messiness and in all of your issues and welcome you? Because see, that changes everything. When we realize that Jesus just says, come, and that God will never withhold mercy from those who cry out to him for mercy, those who call on the name of Jesus, that he's going to like, just come. Jesus just says, come. When our hearts tell us it's time to come and we come, God's not going to be like, no, I didn't really mean that. He just says, come with all of your junk. So many of us feel like this. If I can get my life cleaned up enough, if I can heal that thing that nags me all the time, not your wife, if I can heal that thing that's always after me, that's always seems to be holding me back, that, that, that sore spots, what I would call it, is, is that place that seems to always get poked, that makes me go here, makes me go there, seems to control my life, seems to have me by the back of my head and makes me go different directions. You know, it, here's the thing I, I realize: if, if we can get to that place where we realize that Jesus can heal that, when I look at that and I realize the work that Jesus has done in my life, I come back to this place of gratitude at his grace that has changed my heart and moved me closer to him. Not perfect by any means still struggle with different things but you know what God according to his word and according to my experience is shaping me to be more like him and when I look at that it draws me closer to him it sets my heart on fire for him that he would save me and I begin to realize how he treated me he welcomed me he didn't tell me get your stuff together and then come to me he just said come and I'll start putting the pieces back together The Bible says that he created all things, all things are created for him, and that he's the one who holds them all together. It's in him that it all comes together. One of the things I've realized over the years is that um, I started appreciating my parents more the older I got. Has anybody else had that experience? Like you kind of, when you were little, you loved them, like you thought they were superheroes or something, maybe some of you, I'm probably not that experienced, but some of us, we thought like, man, that's awesome. And then you got to be maybe a teenager and you thought they couldn't even tie their shoes, right? They'd be like, okay, crossover, pull the ear through, you know, the bunny rabbit thing. And you're like, no, that doesn't, that's not even right. And, and so you thought they were idiots. And then as you got older, you realized, okay, they weren't quite as stupid as I thought they were. And then you begin to appreciate it. And when we had kids, when we had children, I began to realize some of the stuff my parents did for me. And when I had, we had Dake and the first time he peed on me, puked on me, uh, you know, pooped on me, I was like, my parents did this for me. They did this for me. And I was amazed. I was blown away. I was like, wow. And it gave me a greater appreciation for what my parents did for me. I began to realize all the sacrifice they made. How basically when you have a child, you know, you give up a lot. But it's this love that thing that happens. And I began to appreciate what they did so much for, for me. It's like I, I never, when I was like a year old, was ever like appreciative of what they did. You know, I wasn't like appreciate you taking care of that for me. You know what I mean? I appreciate what you're doing there. And and it's just, you don't, but as you get older, you begin to see. And as I reflect on that, I appreciate it so much more. And as I reflect on how Jesus treated me, what he did for me, I come to this place of realizing how much I appreciate that, how much I love that, how much that sets my heart on fire. When I realize that Jesus had full right and full ability to be the one to condemn me in my sin and in my struggles, I'm amazed. This woman comes with this issue of blood. She sneaks up behind Jesus. She presses through. She touches his garment and Jesus turns around. You know, in this lady's mind, she's hoping maybe I can get to him. Maybe I can touch his clothes. Maybe I can be healed and then just slip back through the crowd. But when she touches him, power leaves him. He recognizes that something's happened. He knows everything. So he recognizes it. And then he turns around and you know, at the moment that he's walking and all of a sudden she touched, she's like this and he stops. She's like, Oh, 
And then he turns around and he's looking. He's like, who touched me? And they're like, Jesus, everybody's touching. He's like, no, somebody touched me. Power left me. Who was it? And here's this lady with fear and trembling, shaking, coming up to him, falling at his feet and saying, Lord, I touched you. I've been bleeding for 12 years. Doctors couldn't help me. Nothing could help me. And finally, I saw you. And I thought in my heart, if I can just touch him, he can make me whole. And she goes up, touches him. He turns around. She's scared to death. She's falling at his feet. And Jesus looks at her. And rather than looking at her with condemnation, rather than kicking her while he's down, rather than looking down on her, he says, your faith has healed you. Now go and be free. The one who could have condemned didn't condemn. He offered her grace. He offered her freedom from sin. He didn't hold her in it. That's what Jesus does. That's how he's treated you. If you're in Christ, if you've trusted him with your life and come to faith in him, he took your hopeless situation and gave you hope. That's how he's treated you. The second question is, what did Jesus overcome to reach you? What did Jesus overcome to reach you? What was in your life? What was keeping you from knowing God? What did he overcome? Think about the obstacles that Jesus overcame to reach you. You. This one really gets me excited because I look at all the things that Jesus overcame in me. How about this? For some of you, for many of you, probably most of you in here today, how about insecurity? How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many people in here, you're so insecure. You didn't even know if God could love you. You don't even know if you could trust God's love. But the reality of it was God did something in your heart that overcame that obstacle. How about the obstacle of condemning thoughts you would have condemned yourself much less think that god would possibly forgive you here's my encouragement to you if god's no longer condemning you why are you still condemning yourself walk in freedom see yourself in the light of jesus and in the light of his truth and be set free who you were does not define you who you are in christ defines you call those condemning thoughts what they are they're crap foolishness move on how about addictions i know in this church we have a lot of people who struggle with addiction jesus overcomes that obstacle to reach you what about wounds from abuse and feelings of abandonment what about listen how many people in there, you've been through verbal abuse you've been through physical abuse and for the people who have been through that, it is such a struggle to not allow that to define who you are. And I want to tell you today, and I hope you'll hear this, and I pray that the Spirit will, will, will put it in your heart. That's not who you are. Those of you who have fathers who walked away from you, who weren't there for you, who, who, who didn't seem to love you, who didn't seem to care about you. Maybe they were never even in your life. And there's a struggle inside of you that says, if my earthly father did this, then so will my heavenly father. That is a lie from hell. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Even in your darkest moment, even in the hardest hour, he will be there. He's not going to abandon you. And yet these insecurities, these feelings, these fear, Jesus comes in and he crosses those. He moves those out of the way and he comes into our heart. He, 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 he defeats our impurity. He gives us our life back. So many people, you think because of things you've done or things you've seen or things you've said or things you've, you've, you've been through that somehow it makes you beyond the reach of God and it simply does not. Bad relationships, our fears of the future, all of these things that tend to be obstacles that get in the way of us having a relationship with God. Jesus just moves in and he says, I'm bigger. 
He begins to come into our hearts. And from the moment of salvation to the time that we go to be with him and we're finally made whole and complete and pure, he's working in our lives. And one of the things that has been on my heart for two weeks, I, I thought I was preaching this sun, last Sunday and I believe God wanted it to be this Sunday. And, and one of the things that has truly been on my heart has been really in my heart the whole time I've been preparing this message is simply to encourage some of you that that, that place in your life that seems to dictate how, dictate how you see yourself, how you see others and how you see God, that can be healed. It doesn't have to define who you are. There's a greater truth. And I'm not going to tell you that because of this one message that your life is going to all be well. What I've found is that healing is a process. And you walk through it. And sometimes it hurts to be healed. Can God do it in an instant? Yes, but I believe he's created us mostly to do it together. And I just want to encourage some of you that It may have been 30 years. It may have been 40 years. God hasn't given up on you. He hasn't given up on wholeness. And his desire is that we would be able to come to him. We'd be able to walk through this healing process together. Your true identity is not the sum total of your past. And what experience says about you or has taught you is the sum total of what God himself says about you. And if you are a child of God, you are no longer a sinner, but you are a saint. Are you, do you sin? Yes, you sin. But in the, under the blood of Jesus, you are seen as a saint. And when we begin to see ourselves that way, we'll begin to walk that way. For many people in here, what we think of ourselves is the thing that hinders us from walking in the ways of the Lord. I'm thankful that God didn't stop because of what other people said or even what I thought of myself. Listen, if God has stopped by what other people said or what I even thought of myself, this is what I'd be. I'd probably be a drunk. I'm pretty sure I'd be dead a long time ago. I know I wouldn't be married. I know I wouldn't have my kids. I'd have been, been, been I would have lost my, my marriage because, I mean, there were people who were saying, you won't be married more than four or six months. That's what people were saying. Was that supposed to be true? I think God had a bigger plan. He intervened. For some of us, we wrestle with those things. Like, does God have a plan? Yes, he has a plan in this. According to his truth, he has a great plan. My experiences don't define me. Who other people say I am don't define me. His truth defines me. Here's the reality. You wouldn't be sitting here if I listened to what other people said. Because when we started this church four and a half years ago, I'm sweating again. Y'all made me get all hot and bothered up in here. I don't know what it is. The reality of it is, though, guys, if I'd listen to what other people said, you wouldn't be sitting here. Because when we said we're going to start this church, we feel like God's telling us to start a church. You know what we heard? Why are you going to start a church? Got enough churches. A church on every corner. Why you got to start? You think something wrong with all the other churches? Or you going to start a cult? Is that what you're going to do? You going to be one of them blue jean wearing churches? We heard all of it. And, and you know what? It was so hard for me because I don't, you, you've been around, you know this, like, I'm kind of quick to bow up. You know what I'm saying? No, you wouldn't think that. And, but the reality was, it's, it's hard, man. And, but the Lord told me, he said, do not defend yourself. Let the fruit of the ministry speak for itself. 
And I'll keep my mouth closed and people would say things. I got accused of writing letters to other churches to recruit their members. I got accused of, of trying to, to, and I, listen, it took two years before I'd invite anybody to our church. Because I didn't want to get accused of that. I got accused of all kinds of things. And the Lord just kept saying, let the fruit of the ministry speak for itself. Let the fruit of the ministry speak for itself. Let the fruit of the ministry speak for itself. You know what? Nobody asked me those questions anymore. Because we did what God said. There was a greater truth. There was something we needed to do. There was something God called us to do. We had to walk in the truth. Is it easy? No. In fact, I realized and have realized lately that I'm more likely to define myself by who I was rather than who I am. But it's a process we go through and we cling to the truth. And that's one reason we read our Bible is to find out who we are. And I just want to encourage some of you today that Jesus is not hindered or limited by the perceptions others have about you or by even the perceptions that you have of yourself. Because just like he stepped into the situation with this woman and this girl, he is a greater truth that trumps everything else we could possibly see. My encouragement is that we begin to see ourselves as this. We begin to live as this. And it sets our heart on fire for Jesus. He removed the obstacles, how he treated us when we didn't know him. It brings us to this third one. And this is a question, it's a logical question. If he treated us that way, he's removed the obstacles in our life that hindered us from coming to know him, then who's unreachable? If he did it for you, who, will he, who can he not do it for, right? Who's so far gone that he can't save them? The Bible says his arm's not too short to save. Who's unreachable? I would say no one. But here's our perception is that we see some people and we come to this place of thinking that somehow they're disqualified. One of my greatest fears in this church is that we would all begin to look alike, talk alike, think alike, dress alike. Any day you walk into this church, you see people, some with suits on, some with, with flip-flops on. You'll see black, you'll see white, you'll see rich, you'll see poor. And one of my greatest fears is that we would somehow begin to look like each other, begin to talk like each other, begin to smell like each other, only hang around each other because then we're no longer missional. We're no longer going outside the walls. But here's the thing that we love and what brings us comfort. We like to gather with people who are like us, don't we? We love to be together. We love to just, just have this holy huddle we call church that is, that is just totally against the word of God because we're called to gather, yes, but then we're called to scatter and go into the world and reach people who aren't like us. We're called to go, yeah, I mean, our friends and all, but you know the thing I've seen is God used me more to reach people that I've never met than he's used me to reach the people that I really thought he used me to reach. But here's our perception many times is we see certain people and we think there's no way God could, could save them. And I don't know about you, but have you ever had this, um, this thing of, of repulsion for somebody? Like it was almost like you saw them and you're like, you know what I'm saying? Like they just grate your nerves, Right. They just get on your nerves. And, and, and you find this out too, like when you get married, because, you know, God puts you together and you're so different. And then like he puts you together and then all of a sudden little things get on your nerves. And I was talking about Billy and Kate this morning. Billy's back from his honeymoon. He and Kate got married. So excited about that for them. And, and the funny thing about it is, and I told them this before they got married, I was like, there's going to be things you find out about each other. There's going to be little things that people do that when you get married, that, that just gets on your nerves. Can I get an amen from somebody up in the house today? Things that, 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 that just you just look at. And, and one of the things like, 
like, I told her, I was like, man, listen, there's going to be a day when, when, when she's just sitting there eating a bowl of cereal. And the spoon hits the bowl. And then she begins to crunch it. Just crunch. And, 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 and the first thought that comes to my mind is, can you just shut your mouth? For the love, just chew with your mouth closed. And you're like, will you stop? And you're like, what? Just it's breathing. That, it's just that breathing. It's just annoying. There's things that get on our nerves. There's certain types of people that get on our nerves. There's certain types of people that repulse us. And in fact, when we see them, it begins to make us think that, man, I just want to get away from them. There's certain people that we've stereotyped to say, man, I don't even think that God, God can't reach them. We might not always say that, but our actions indicate it because we avoid them. We don't welcome them. We don't want them in the, in the church. We just tell them, you can stand outside the door. You don't come, you know, and if we, if they do show up, we try to squeeze them out with the messages we preach, with the things we say, because here's the thing I realized ministry is a lot easier if it's not messy. And so we try to squeeze the mess out so we don't have to deal with it. But the reality of it is Jesus stepped into the biggest mess that was ever created. It was our mess. He stepped in to clean it up. How can we turn our backs on people who are in a mess? We can't. And some people, this is what happens. Some people we see them or some people we think about them in certain um, ways of life that they're living or things that they're doing. And, and, and how many of you just like look at this? This right here is chalkboard, right? Some of y'all have never seen this. This is a chalkboard. What you do is you take a piece of chalk and you write on it. And then you take another thing that you have to hit against the wall and get the dust out every now and then called an eraser and you erase the chalk off the board. But how many of you have ever been sitting there? There's always the kid in class that would do what? He'd walk up to the chalkboard and he'd do what? I love that reaction. That is so awesome because I ain't even done anything yet, right? Watch. And y'all are like, it just freaks us out. It's just, is it not repulsive? It's just like, no, it just grates our flesh for somebody just to do like, I mean, that's all. That's, I, it didn't hurt. But how do we, how many times do we approach people that way? We're just repulsed. How could they do that? How could they think that? How could they say that? We just shy away. We squeeze them out. We push them away. Tell them they don't have a place. They don't fit. You don't belong. Don't look like me, talk like me, act like me. You've got struggles I've never dealt with, so somehow that makes me feel better when you're in your own bondage to something else. Right? I'd say we're all in this together. I'd say we're all in a healing process trying to move towards wholeness in Christ together. And the problem in the church is typically we push away everybody who's not like us. I'm not ask you this, what are, who are the people, who are the people that, that you look at and, and you just feel like, I can't, no, I'm not, not no, nope. Nope. I don't have anything to do with them. For me, I'll tell you the one that bugs me the most that I just want to like grab them by the throat. Gossips. Like the other, I'm fine. People that talk about people drives me nuts. Right? Just aggravates the mess out of me, especially in the church. I'm like, what are you doing? Why are you doing it? Why, why would you destroy somebody else to try to make you feel better? Why would you disguise gossip as a prayer request so that you can talk about somebody else, make yourself feel better about because of their difficulties or their struggles? For a lot of people in here, it's got to do with skin color. It's got to do with skin color. How shallow, how lame, how pathetic, how small 
to withhold the love of God because of the color of somebody's skin. I know we're in the South. I got news for you. The South ain't going to rise again. It ain't happening. And listen, if the color of somebody's skin determines how you think of them, how you feel about them, how you're willing to love them, you need to repent. Because you're in sin. God loves you through what he loves you through and he brought you through what he's brought you through. How can you withhold love for somebody because of the color of their skin as if it makes them less than you? That's the definition of a bigot. We should turn from that. How about homosexuals? You don't get it tense up in here? Everybody, everybody's reading just pinch the seat, right? He's going back to that 50 shades of gray thing he did back in August. I preached a whole message on homosexuality. I'm not going to back away from the topic. I'm not scared of the topic. I have had several one-on-one lunches and coffees with homosexuals. You know what I found? They're people. They're people. People with, with struggles just like you. I've had people come into this church and they'll see a guy or a girl here that they know is a homosexual. And I've heard that, like, the, let me bring you into church world, like staff. This is what I hear. Well, I don't think I can come back to your church. Why not? Well, I was there and I saw this, this gay guy there. And I just, don't think, I just don't think that's right. You know what I tell them? We'll miss you. We'll miss you. Hate that for you. And I'll try to explain to them. Listen, I want anybody that struggles with anything to be here. Where would I rather them be? We really think that pushing somebody away because we don't agree with their lifestyle, really? Because this is what I believe. If God can heal my heart, if God can do a miracle in my life, whose life can't he do a miracle in? Who's beyond the love and the reach and the healing power of Jesus? No one. We withhold love. Listen, one of the, another thing that gets on my nerves is greed. Greedy people bother me. We've been blessed with so much, and then people that won't help anybody by giving anything, including time or money, bugs me. Can't withhold love from them. I hate to see guys when they treat their wives bad. I hate to see um, guys that treat girls bad, period. Ticks me off. I believe God can heal them. They might have to punch them in the throat first, but God can heal them. We're not, no one is beyond the reach of Jesus. There's no one. Maybe the better question we should ask ourselves is how dare we think that someone else is unreachable? How arrogant to think that someone else is unreachable. Who are we to judge Somebody as unreachable. What if Jesus had done that for you or to you? Last question. What's your response to God's response to you? How do you respond to this? How do you realize this in your life? How do you respond to that? 
I was thinking about the scripture. I went back and read it and it really began to speak to my heart. It's in Luke chapter 17, beginning in verse 11. It says, Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood a distance at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. These people are hopeless. They're lepers. They're outcasts. They can no longer be around their family. They can no longer worship. They're estranged. They're distant. They have no hope of coming close to God. When Jesus saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus's feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. That's huge. Samaritans and Jews didn't like each other. They hated each other. You want to talk about racism? It existed between Samaritans and Jews. And yet Jesus heals this Samaritan. He goes off and this one guy comes back. And it says, Jesus asked, were not all 10 cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Here's the thing I would tell you. Our response should be the response of the one, not the nine. The response should be that we run to Jesus, thanking him for our cleansing. And then we go away praising him and telling other people about him. I can honestly tell you, I don't want to be the nine. I don't want to be like the nine. I don't want to receive God's mercy and his grace in my life, his salvation in my life. And and I don't want to walk away feeling this somehow, this entitlement that has so plagued our country that makes us think we deserve everything we get. You need to hear this and hear this clearly. If you are in Christ, what you deserve was hell and what you get is heaven. You aren't entitled to anything but spending eternity separated from God. And yet God in his great mercy and his grace has given us life through his son. So many times we walk away like the nine and we we don't come back. Listen, I don't want to pastor a church like this, like the nine. I don't, I'm not. This is who we are. We're like the one. We're going to come and we're going to worship and we're going to praise and we're going to live for him and we're going to go after him. And listen, when some people don't, that's okay. We're going to preach it anyway. And there's going to be a group of us that are pursuing God and that group's going to grow and it's going to grow and we're going to impact this community. How do I know? Because this church is alive and it's not alive because of me or a band or anybody else. It's alive because the church, the spirit of Jesus lives in this church and God is working and God is drawing people to himself and we're going to see that happen and when it happens we're going to rejoice and we're going to celebrate and we're going to live in this awe of God saving people because God still saves people today those people who are far from him those people we look at and think are despicable those people who everybody else has given up on bring them here I know we have a God who is big enough to change their lives most of my best friends are people who if you knew them before Christ you wouldn't recognize them I know the power of God to change a life. I know myself the power of God to begin to heal sore spots in our life. Things that were caused by, by, by um, just emotional abuse. Things that were caused by feelings of abandonment. Things that were caused by, by never feeling good enough. By always trying to measure up. I know God takes us through this process of healing us and he begins to move us towards wholeness. My plea with you, if you are in Christ, don't give up on the process. Don't quit. The God who saved you will bring his work to completion. He's 
going to do it through you. You hold tight to him, trust in him and let him work in your life. And bring wholeness. And here's the other thing. Listen, if you don't know him, if you've never come to the place of knowing him, you've been resisting God. You've rejected his offer. You've rejected his, this opportunity. What are you waiting on? You're not out out of his reach. He's a transformer of hearts and a transformer of lives. And today, he can transform yours. I can tell you this. If you come to Christ, you will not be rejected, but you will be transformed. He loves us as we are, but he loves us too much to leave us there. And the Bible very clearly tells us that that he knew, he called, he predestined us to become like his son. In other words, what that's saying is this, folks. That just as sure as our salvation, so is our confirmation, our, our, our conformity, our, our, our lives being shaped to be like Jesus. Sure, because it's in Him. There's nothing that He can and won't heal. Our hearts, that sore spot. And this is what I know. There are a lot of people here today and you have a sore spot. You have something in your life that continues to be poked, that continues to be prodded, that continues to be moved. And every time it is, it controls and dictates your life. And this is what I can tell you also. It's going to take other people to heal that. Because God has designed it to work in that way. That we walk through life together, being healed, being restored, being made whole. I just believe that there's people here today who need to begin that journey of healing. The crazy thing is that so many times God takes our sore spot, that thing that hurts us, the thing that seems to control us, and he begins to use that to become the greatest platform for the ministry he gives us. But it takes place when we finally come to a spot of saying, God, I believe you can do it and I'm willing to walk it through. This is what I want to do. I'm going to ask everybody just to close your eyes, bow your head. We don't usually do this. But I believe there's things in here that people are dealing with and we need to get, we need to get, we need to rip off the scab so that healing can begin. We don't need another emotional experience. We need people who begin a healing process. And I can tell you this, this church is committed to walking that through with you. Their staff, their people, not just our staff members, but people in the church who've been there, they've been where you are. We want to help you. So everybody, your eyes close your head bowed. Here's the thing I want to offer. First, I want to ask you, you don't know Jesus, and today you want to. Today you say, I know he's spoken to my heart, and I want to know him. I want to be healed. I want to be cleansed. I want to be made whole. That's the first person I want to talk to. I want you to, I'm not asked to respond second person is the one who's here who knows that there's something that's just not right something you need to be healed from there's just a sore spot this thing that keeps getting pushed this thing that keeps getting manipulated that keeps controlling your life we want to walk through a healing process with you we want to help you but you've got to let us help you i want to ask you if you're here and, and and you fall into either one of those categories Everybody's looking around. I want to make this easy for you. The most important thing is to get you on a path of healing, not to make you feel uncomfortable. Well, everybody's got their eyes closed. Would you be so bold? Be, take us such a step of faith that you let us pray with you. 
that you just get out of your seat, walk out these doors, and let us begin the healing path with you. We're not going to leave you. God's not going to forsake you. We just want to walk it through with you. But you know there's some things in my life that have always hindered me, and I want to be whole. I want to be made whole. I want to be healed. Would you be bold enough to take that step of faith and to walk out of here? I'm going to pray while I'm praying. You can get up you can walk and you can go and you can begin this process and we want to walk through with you let's pray God thank you for your healing thank you God that you would move in people's hearts to have them take such a bold step thank you Lord that you uh, love us the way we are but you love us so much you continue to move in our lives to transform us making us whole God I just pray for people though God, they're moving right now. I pray that those who think they can't, God, they would just get up and move. Let us, let us walk through this with them, Lord. Move them to respond to you. Lord, God, we thank you for loving us so much that you came to us in our mess and our uncleanliness, Lord, and our sin. You saved us. You made us whole. You healed us. We thank you for that. Thank you for the power of your spirit. For the work of Christ on the cross. It's in his name we pray. Amen.